If you're looking for the best horror, thriller, sci-fi and WTF audio fiction this side of the apocalypse, then you should listen to The Other Stories. With over 500 stories on the podcast feed already and news stories dropping every single Monday morning, The Other Stories is your new best friend. Check out The Other Stories today on any and all podcast platforms or head to theotherstories.net. After all, these aren't the stories your mother used to tell you. These are The Other Stories. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today's episode of Tales of What is sponsored by Babu 691. Babu. Babu 691 is your gateway to the weird and wonderful. This online magazine celebrates the surreal and the bizarre in literature, film, art, and more. You'll find the latest on bizarro fiction, interviews, humour, the history of surrealism, and the weird in all its many forms. Have an idea for an article? Babu691 is open for queries and submissions, so check them out at babu691.com. That's B-A-B-O-U-691.com. Babu... Can you feel it? We're in the end game now. Sorry, not end game. Podcast. We're in the podcast now. I mean, we're list- we're listening to a podcast, not not we. You you are you are listening to this podcast is what I'm trying to say. Um, only you though. After you downloaded it, whoever you are, you sexy stud gun. Uh, the podcast deleted itself like a suicidal chuckle slipping off a dying man's last joke. Don't know where that came from, but all of this is to say, welcome back to Tales of What. My name is Luke, and this is my what. Uh, I'm really happy to feature today's writer on the show. He's also a sexy stud gun, just like whoever you are who's listening to this episode. I think this may have been the first story I chose for this season of the podcast. Uh, and I think you'll see why when you when you listen to it. Uh, the Projected Man. It's written by a guy called Chris Kelso. Chris Kelso is a British Fantasy Award-nominated writer, illustrator, and anthologist from Scotland. Kelso has also been printed frequently in literary and university publications across the UK, US, and Canada. 
Chris Garso is one of those names you hear thrown around a lot in the writing world. He's going to go far. He's going to take over the world. Help. Please send help. He's trying to take over my computer mouse. Stop it. Anyway, I'm super happy to have tied him down for the podcast. I won't keep you any longer. From me to you, just you, today's story is The Projected Man, written by Chris Kelso and narrated by Josh Curran. I begged the religious court in Rutherglen to let me undertake the gruelling Jewish conversion ritual. I was circumcised, but had a panic attack in the middle of my mikveh and could not adequately complete my ritual prayer. I said, Barakuda Karatatum, instead of Baruch Ata, and couldn't remember the part about Adonai Ilochenu Melech for the life of me. I became so nervous that I lost bodily control, and much flatulence ensued. The rabbi chased me from the synagogue with a shoe raised above his head. It was tremendously embarrassing. I was looking for a new thing, you see. But before we get into that, there are some things you should know about me. My surname is so middle class, no one can remember it. Least of all me, so I won't bore you with it. Billboards tell me that I should be living my best life. Find your greatness. Tomorrow starts now. Just do it! But I never wanted to spread my harlequin wings and take flight. I never wanted to just do it. I wanted to be left alone to simmer in a post-radiated state of carcinomic misery. Forget life. Fuck greatness. I was once called a classic underachieving middle-class ponce by a militant Trotskyite outside Glasgow Uni. That seems pretty accurate. Fuck greatness, eh? Christ, it's amazing how attitudes can change. It's amazing how searching for a new thing completely took over my life. I used to laugh at people who tried that hard to be different. Now, I had what some might class as an unremarkable face. My hair was brown and thin, the kind you might see on the magnified foreleg of a mayfly. My skin was pale save for a patch of psoriasis brought on by blood pressure medication. I'd never had a girlfriend, but I did pine after a fellow employee called Jessie. People, including Jessie, would confuse me for a mannequin all the time, and I was happy enough to let them. My mother was loving, but she stared through me. I thought I made peace with my blandness many years ago, but no. Maybe it was the cancer. I don't know. It happened in 2007. This obsession. It started with a kind of of out-of-body experience. I was working in a video store off Ellison Avenue. This man walked in carrying a polythene bag of VHS tapes and dropped them on the counter. The fact we had a customer was remarkable in itself. Videotapes were going out of fashion and DVDs were just taking over, so the initial encounter immediately struck me as odd. He stared at me, unmoved face ovular and on a plane, equal in length and width, hair thin, skin patched with psoriasis. It was like looking in a mirror. But he didn't just resemble me facially, 
His build was the same, doughy at the midriff with loose, grim love handles, eyes like his mother. He was wearing the same grey sweater and cargo pants. I started wondering, does my doppelganger have a girlfriend? Does he have cancer too? Does he have a thing? Just returning these, he said in a voice identical to mine. I could only gawp at him as my heart hit my feet. I knew I was being rude, but I couldn't help it. The duplicate thanked me and awkwardly left the video store. He didn't seem to notice the striking similarity. Ike came in from his lunch break and didn't look twice. At him, or me. No one fucking noticed. While I was content to blend in, I'd been harbouring fantasies about death. Suicide. In fact, on my way to work that morning, I hurtled down the tarmac artery of Glasgow, traversing lanes in my car like someone scoring across bad blueprints, daring death to declare more of an interest in me, as if it could. I think since I turned 30, I was already subconsciously in search of a new thing. Seeing my doppelganger just heightened this sense of frustration. I couldn't commit suicide, though. My mother would blame herself. I did read an article once about a PhD student who saw his doppelganger lying in his bed. In a panic, the student screamed at the mirror image of himself, shaking and punching the body with all his might. Nothing. Just an identical, unmoving corpse lying in bed. Maddened and confused, the kid jumped out of the fourth floor apartment window. He survived the fall and had a cantaloupe-sized tumour removed from his left temporal lobe. The event was nothing more than an autoscopic phenomena. Your standard out-of-body experience, OBE. Anyway, after my shift, I was out in the street, my mind reeling. Being an infinitesimal floater in the eye of the solar system was bad enough, but seeing someone who looks exactly like you in the same town as you, well... It magnifies your feeling of insignificance tenfold. I suddenly had this urge to separate myself from the crowd. I didn't want to die a carbon copy of a man. First, I had to acknowledge that I simply had no definable features. And there was more than a botched conversion to Judaism along the way. While in the video store, I saw a woman walking by wearing a burqa, and she immediately stood out to me. Perhaps I could adopt the practices of an exotic religion to set myself apart from the crowd. So, I declared Allah my saviour, and took to wearing appropriate Muslim dresswear. I attended the local mosque, and found the solitude very centering. I tried reading the Quran, but I was taken into a separate room and interrogated about my motives, then subsequently excommunicated. I even entered Scientology but soon sought apostasy. Months passed. I'd embarked on a number of hair-brained ventures, most recently joining a sports club where the toxic men there mocked me for being physically inferior. I didn't enjoy their attempts at camaraderie, and I never had a very good sense of humour about myself anyway. Not enough to survive in that atmosphere. The day after I quit, 
I remember looking at the slim, attractive, but miserable-faced Jessie, her fringe set in a handsome wave of white plumage, lean against the clinker brick wall, smoking a cigarette, fingers blue in winter heat, daring death with every puff. She'd seen me cough up blood and never judged me. Maybe she had cancer too. Maybe she'd given me her cancer by accident. Maybe it travelled over to me in a plume of death smog and I'd inhaled it with wide, willing nostrils. If I wasn't so bad at expressing myself, I'd swear I was in love with her. She exhaled, gazed up at the Falu Red channel lettering reel-to-reel video and sighed. I bet I have cancer, she revealed. I wanted to say, Me too, but my voice felt like a whimper in the loud wind. A bird swooped by overhead. While birdwatching the month before, a masked lapwing attacked me and stalked me outside my flat for hours on end. It could smell my insignificance, that I would not be missed. I had to get Rent-A-Kill in to assassinate the bird. It cost me 200 quid, a month's wages, and for the rest of that month, I lived on dry toast and pickle juice. I was scared of all free things. Jessie smoked the whole cylinder with mournful quiet and pinged the smouldering butt away. She spat on the ground, folded her arms, and returned to leaning against the smoking wall. Crusaders never had such a nerve. Ugh, I bet I have cancer. She mumbled to herself a second time, and coughed into her wrist. Young Ike appeared, and nervously leaned beside Jessie. He was gnawing so vigorously on a stick of chewing gum that it stimulated a work of vein at his temple. For a while now, Ike had been lingering against the smoking wall, waiting for a chance to be heard. Jessie and I never spoke. She could smoke away and pretend like I didn't exist, but Ike wanted her to notice him. Actually, with this new sense of self, I wanted her to notice me too. I was tired of longing from a distance at Jessie's willowy presence. Of course I was acquainted with this feeling of inadequacy. You see, I started Crochet earlier that week. I bought the starter packs and took out a subscription to Tuck the Wool magazine, but I was unable to sew anything beyond a deformed mitten. The toxic women at Woolly Wednesday were snide and waspish, including my own mother. I was made to feel like an outsider again, because I was a man in a sea of menopausal women. Boy gnawed, ran his hands through scraggly hair, his existence begged consideration. Ike looked at Jessie uncertainly and inched closer to her. He coughed to get her attention. Uh, you, uh, you going to the gunnut gig tonight? He said between cement mixer mastication. Gunnut were a terrible glam rock band, and I knew Jessie would hate the idea. She looked at the boy skeptically narrowed her eyes to paper cuts. Ike tried smiling, but made a weird, pained grimace instead. What was he trying to negotiate here? He was still negotiating puberty. Jessie reluctantly passed on a naphtha retrieved from her cardigan pocket. She didn't want company. I've been hoping his advances would fail, but 
This was embarrassing. She just wanted to be left alone. But to my astonishment, she passed along a piece of paper with her home number on it. The boy took it gratefully and held it in his palm the way a child might cradle a seashell. She straightened herself up, spat again, and walked away leaving Ike alone against the wall with the lighter still in his palm. A child with a memento of the beach, and me simmering, wishing I could give him something as fatal as my shattered ego. The Ballardian pastiche of reel-to-reel HQ was oppressively dull, and the sound of a red-corded phone willed the phantom tumour to metastasize in my left lung. I looked at Jesse in the back office, chatting with our part-timer, Sharon. You know, smoking is one of the leading causes of cancer, Jesse. You know, smoking is one of the leading causes of all statistics, Sharon. But Jesse was like a fading hologram against the vibrant blue Velcro-friendly office partition. She knew her beauty was dying, just like I knew my faint impression was fading too. The rest of her body was close behind, and she seemed complicit in the acceleration of this process. The mirror told her she had become lath-thin, her face drawn, her hair lank. Jessie walked away from Sharon and removed her cardigan to reveal the standard reel-to-reel employee shirt underneath. I was just back from a hike with a group of geocatchers. Of course, I got separated from the group. Eventually got myself completely lost. Killed and ate a grazing lamb. The experience haunts to this day. And after I was airlifted to safety, I vowed never to do anything so utterly reckless again. It's a long story. The phone rang, and I sighed a great defeated sigh. Members of the public were idiots. Jesse shouldered in to answer the phone, as if I were merely an inanimate obstacle to be shunted out of the way. I heard heavy breathing emerge in place of a response. The breathing of a beast, heavy and sexually ominous. I thought for a moment that I might be on the phone to death herself. And still, death had nothing interesting to say. Not yet. I would have to be patient. Hello? Jesse asked. The phone hung up. Death's laugh in a rasping dial tone. Weird, she said. Probably that fucking creepy taxi driver again. Dodgy bastard. Jessie took out her mobile phone. Ike's greasy head appeared over his cubicle like a Kilroy cartoon. I was starting to like Ike. He made a certain effort with me that I'd come to appreciate. My lack of male friends weighed heavier on me since seeing my doppelganger. There's something to be said for fraternity. He took me to a workshop where you learn how to build model rocket ships. I liked the solar scouts when they ascended, but the sonic igniters exacerbated my bronchitis. I think he soon realised that I wasn't someone worth seeing outside office hours. The phone went again. The world swung in gyroscopic unsteadiness. I picked it up this time. Hi there, this is Real to Real. Jesse. Yes. Hello. Jesse Templeton. Death? No, this is... uh... Hello? Who is this? 
I asked, trying to make my voice deep and aggressive. I'm going to cut out your fucking ovaries and... The voice spat in a snarling, ugly, masculine dose. I'm sorry? I got out, but fear choked me, made my eyelids itch. Jesse came up beside me and mouthed, Who is it? But I couldn't speak. I wanted to channel aggression, but I just didn't have it in me. You know, I could not even fall in love with the savage art of hunting. Fishing dropped off my list. Unlike most of my species, I did not feel comfortable on a throne at the top of the food chain. Animals sensed I was subhuman in this respect, so I stayed away from them. The grazing lamb haunts me to this day, mocking my attempt to outrun death and make myself interesting and happy. But the blue office petition was pocked with little rectangles of city light, and suddenly night was upon the reel-to-reel video office. The voice recharged, sucked up air, and prepared to unload another whirlwind of vitriol. Put Jesse on the fucking phone, you bitch. I should put razor blades in your cereal so you should never smile again, you cancerous little... I waited, speechless. Then, okay now, who is this? That's enough. You're a taxi driver, aren't you? The caller became androgynous. Low, like a secret. The voice rattled down the receiver like a dial-up modem struggling to connect. Ike? The phone hung up. Ike's head disappeared behind his cubicle wall. Ike and I never really hung out again. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I can't pinpoint the exact moment I decided to have trans-species reassignment surgery, but it was around the time my mother died of an aneurysm, brought on by the same inherited hypertension that yanked my own blood vessels into silly string. My mother left me a lot of money in her will, so I knew I had no excuses not to go all out. She told me on her deathbed to do whatever made me happy. Use the money to get myself to a better place or something. By some curious quirk of fate, a week later, Mike Dunnay, a Catalan-raised cyborg artist and trans-species activist, came into my life. Dunne was one of those creative types Scotland had laid claim to, even though he wasn't actually Scottish. He appeared at Real to Real the day after my mother's funeral, returning a copy of Maniac Cop of all things. I'd already started looking into Transdental Communication System as a way to invest some of my inheritance, and I recognised Dunne from the cover of Think Yourself Interesting magazine. Mike's story eerily paralleled my own. He was a kindred spirit. Initially I thought I'd start small by getting a Bluetooth tooth or something, but Mike soon convinced me to get full cyborg surgery. He took one look at me and said, You're not happy in your own skin, I can tell. And told me to contact this scientist who was a pioneer in the field and running clinical trials in Glasgow. A guy called Dr. Almagro. I felt it's what my mother would have wanted, to be happy in my own skin. I fantasized about Jesse's face when I returned to the video store, tooled up and aluminium plated. Maybe we could die of cancer together. I entered the biomech facility, and the sound of pumping machinery sent a cold, wet finger down my spine. Dr. Almagro was Portuguese, tall and handsome, and put my mind instantly at ease. He said I didn't have to worry about paying the money up front, but that what I had was enough for now, that seeing people happy was enough of a payment. I couldn't believe my luck. You will be so beautiful and unique after surgery, you will cease to be a mere human being. He flattered, cleaning a series of surgical instruments with a yellow cloth. You think so? Goodness, yes, there will only be 45 other people around the world with similar transspecies reassignment. That's great news. I was genuinely excited. I looked down at my doughy husk and imagined what I could do with upgraded biomech arms. Science fiction, super strength seemed just around the corner. You'll be a pioneer. Soon people will get this procedure on the NHS in this country, but you will be among the first. Mr. Donay speaks very highly of your chances. Even with these comforting words, I still wondered if my doppelganger had had a decent job. Did his mother have an aneurysm? Dr. Almagro led me into a lobby, where I waited in silence with three other lonely souls desperate for definition. They were just as unremarkable and useless looking as me. I hoped we'd all emerge from the facility feeling rejuvenated and remarkable. The woman on my left, a multiple amputee, looked at me and tried to smile. The world robbed me of my smile, she said. I know what you mean. I said, but I sensed she didn't relate. 
Her pain was too consuming, and other people's feelings were incomprehensible and alien. Pain can push people to apathy. I'm sure you know this already. Anyway, there was no judgement. The surgery was long and painful. You see, fentanyl controls areas of the brain that control respiration, and I stopped breathing for around 13 minutes. I was literally dead on the operating slab. Dr. Almagro was able to resuscitate me, and I remember sucking in air through my mouth like a gasping newborn. Welcome back, Dr. Almagro said, smiling. There was something about his grin I didn't like. Thank you. What was it like to die? I had no response. The entire surgery had been a blur, and only vague shreds of memory existed in the haziest, hypnagogic recesses of my consciousness. I didn't even have the energy to be shocked by the news that I was dead for 13 minutes. Not to worry, we removed your tumour during surgery. Now you will be able to project an image of your best self, your truest self. You can keep it if you like. And Dr. Almagro handed me a large mason jar with a heap of hard tissue the size of a walnut floating inside. I can keep this? I asked, realising I was unable to move my neck. He sat the tumour jar on my lap, nodding. Oh yes, it won't count as a medical waste if no one knows about it. <laughs> and he winked at me in a way that belied his professional position. I felt a strange wave of sadness. Jesse and I officially had nothing in common anymore. You're bandaged up at the moment, yes, but in three days you'll be able to remove bindings. You understand that sufficient time must pass to allow the organic and mechanic to marry, yes? I nodded, and a team of expert nurses maneuvered me from the bed and into a wheelchair. My neck was still stiff, and my body felt like it had been through an auto wreck. I noticed how much heavier my torso was. The nurses struggled to move me. Mr. Donay will be visiting you soon to keep up with your progress. I think even that he will bring journalists to interview if that suits. Sure. Dr. Almagro smiled and waved from the hospital as I was wheeled into a waiting taxi. I sensed a male nurse delicately place a doggy bag on the leather seat next to me, and I knew it had the tumour jar inside. I wanted to observe it, but the pain was truly chronic. In three days, I'd be able to marvel at my post-human physique. I'd have interviews and fame to look forward to. With fame came friends and acceptance, no limitations, inner peace. The Govan taxi driver helped me out of the cab and into my wheelchair. He opened the front door of my mother's house and helped me up the steps. From the corner of my eye, I saw Ike walk past on his way to work. He glanced over, but quickened his pace when I tried to smile in his direction. Just you wait, I thought to myself. The taxi driver held the doggy bag clenched in one hairy fist, preservation oil sweating through the bottom. He held it up like a fisherman raising an obscure and monstrous catch. What's in here? Your hospital lunch, <laughs> he sniggered. I didn't know how to respond, so I smiled awkwardly. 
and I kept smiling awkwardly as the taxi driver took it upon himself to pull out the glass jar from the back. He surveyed the metastasized heap inside and grinned. Stovies? he asked. Recognising that stovies were a wildly popular national dish which resembled a bundle of malignant polyps, I smiled back, relieved, and confirmed. Yes, just like Mum used to make. Your mother's still about? He said this as he took in the dated 70s floral wallpaper, the mint green colour scheme, the ugly chinaware, brown shag against geometric patterned wool, just passed away. Huh? You must be worth a few quid then, unless your old man's got the reins now. <laughs> he laughed jocularly, looking around as if the house were a museum exhibiting vintage artifacts of a bygone culture. I didn't know how to tell him that I'd never met my father. I used to know the woman who stayed here, you know. Don't know if it was your dear old mother, though. Chances are slim there, I suppose, eh? I suppose. So, what happened to you, then? I just wanted the man to leave, but something in the air shifted. It was thick with tension. There was a threat present, and he wasn't going anywhere. I've had pretty radical, um, surgery. I disclosed. Radical, eh? Interesting. He replied, disinterestedly. Before I had the chance to respond, the taxi driver had produced a small knife and pressed it hard against my left cheek, millimetres below my eyeball. An involuntary shoulder jerk could have seen me blinded. I couldn't quite believe it. My body was rigid and numbed, but the cold blade poked at the tender area of exposed flesh in a way that made me shockingly aware of my own fragility. I'd never felt so vulnerable. He knelt to my level, his face now a mask of hostility, and through gritted, yellow teeth asked, Where's the money? Where's your old mum's fucking money? The truth was that my mother didn't have money just lying around. It was in a bank, in a safe deposit. I tried to explain but could only stammer a staccato of vowels at him. The man's patience dissipated with every machine gun I, and soon, he reached his summit. The taxi driver blew his cheeks in exasperation and sought to impress enough pressure on the knife edge that he drew a teardrop of blood. He went over to the tumour canopic and tossed it against the wall, bellowing in frustration. Fuck's sake, where the fuck is the money? Calmed for a moment as we both watched the spilled malignancy slide down the floral wallpaper and land on the mantelpiece with a wet thud. The taxi driver was visibly disgusted. A fucking stovey, he fumed. The taxi driver turned to me, eyes wet and trembling with fear and greed. He motioned towards me with wriggling fingertips, ragged nails poured at every part of me. I felt him unbandage me, his eyes still wet and trembling, mouth slightly agape in anticipation of the grotesque scars I concealed. 
please? I begged, but his disgust motivated him to new realms of morbid curiosity. Soon, my neck and chest were free of their binding. Air rushed in and stung the raw, incised flesh. The taxi driver took a step back in abject horror. What the fuck are you? You're a fucking freak. The taxi driver disappeared from view. I heard him raiding drawers and tipping over boxes, desperate to find something of value. But I was nothing if not organised when it came to my inheritance. He would find nothing in the house. When he couldn't find anything he wanted, he reappeared before me, reaching into his back pocket and retrieving a set of matches. He pulled out a single match and struck it until a flame danced on the head like a shock of red hair. The man seemed to be fully weeping at this stage. I saw his vulnerability, and that this wasn't something he showed many people. We shared a masculine moment, scared and familiar. One of the few connections I've ever achieved. Brief though it was, I felt a strange gratitude in that moment. The heat seared through my body in a surge of vicious electricity and the smell of flesh and boiling metal filled my lungs, reawakening deadened nerve endings with screaming vengeance. I stood up, sending the wheelchair careening off behind me, but I was rooted, paralysed. The marriage of metal and flesh wasn't complete, psychologically or anatomically. There was no communication. So I stood there like a deteriorating wicker man, and the only thing I could think to do was to project myself to some other location. If I willed in enough, I could be anywhere. I pushed my mind through a chink in my mental armour, and before I knew it, the disembodied tumour had repositioned me. I now stood staring at my burning shell from the outside window of my mother's house. The taxi driver fled the scene, and I watched him kick the back door shut and bundle himself into the driver's seat. The cab screeched off into the distance. For a time, I wandered the neighbourhood, a spectral vision, but wound up back at the video store. I'm not sure if it was Jesse who compelled me to return, or something else, but the truth was that I was a soul looking for a body. I saw Jess and Ike fooling around behind the blue partition, both wearing Gun Nuts t-shirts. I considered usurping my former friend's consciousness. I could finally feel the cold, pale touch of my beloved, kiss the thin contours of her lips, share her cancer. But it was the arrival of a face I recognised that attracted all my astral energy. I saw that doughy midriff and ovular face and knew this was home. Better the devil you know. The day after my funeral, I would watch Mike Dunay on YouTube discussing vanguard players and the new relational enterprises of man. There will be no need for profit among these beings. Each player will be unselfish, roaming, and sedentary. A true, real-to-real citizen. The saviour of humanity. 
The world will be one of equal in rights and obligations, altering and establishing planetary institutions and industrial enterprises. Dunay revealed that no one had undergone this transspecies surgery in the UK yet, but they had conducted interesting experiments on willing test subjects. And I just wanted to be different. For the first time, feeling like myself. I hope you enjoyed that, you delicious listener. The Projected Man was written by Chris Kelso. If you give Chris Kelso a Google, you'll find yourself overwhelmed with Chris Kelso-specific hyperlinks, which will take you across the World Wide Web to various pages specifically related to Christopher Kelso. Uh, You can follow him through these links. You can buy his books. Also, be sure to let him know that you listen to him on Tales of What through any of his social media uh, platforms because... He would like that, I believe, and also I would also like it. It would give me just a little jolt of praise. Uh, it's also this episode was narrated by Josh Curran. Josh Curran is a narrator and writer himself. He has narrated many episodes of the Other Stories podcasts. Uh, so go check all of those episodes out. Go and check out the episode Daniel Johnson. I think you'll get a lot out of that. It's one of my favourite podcast episodes I've ever been involved with. Um, he's also the creator of the horror audio drama podcast Miscreation and you can follow him on Twitter at at jcurrenwriter sound effects are provided by zapsplat.com today's music was provided by Duke Rondo if you enjoyed today's episode you can follow me and my work at www.lukecondor.com that's condor spelled K-O-N-D-O-R you can check out my other podcast, The Other Stories. Like I said, go check out Daniel Johnson. Uh, you can help support the show by donating a bit of Wonga over at ko-fi.com forward slash Luke of Condor. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Luke of Condor. Also, you can join the Bizarro Discord server to hang around with Bizarro writers and fans uh, over at lukecondor.com forward slash Bizarro. So... Until next time.